Welcome to Village Church. It is good to see all y'all here. Uh, And also, welcome to everybody who's online or who will watch this online. Um, Our mission here at Village Church, as we say most weeks, is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. So thank you all for joining us in that mission and vision today. Uh, Before we proceed in worship, I've just got a couple of announcements uh, I want to share with you all. So one, right after the the worship gathering this morning, we are going to have a congregational meeting in which we will uh, vote on uh, the the officers uh, who are up for ordination. So uh, if you can, please stay for that. And also, uh, please, please please continue to be praying for those men and for our congregation as a whole as we install new officers. And then next Sunday, we'll do the ordination for those new officers. Also, uh, next Saturday, June 19th, is uh, Lyle. So just across the street, or a of the church, Lyle Lee lives, and he is hosting a Juneteenth celebration. So if you can come to that, certainly do so. But also, right after the congregational meeting today, uh, some of us are going to walk our street and invite people to that celebration. So please be praying for that. Please pray for the people who live on Virginia and who we will be inviting, um, that we would be uh, gospel salt and light, even in whatever brief interaction we have or the flyer that we leave with them, to invite them to this. And that this would be a means of outreach and a way to love on people who are literally in our community where we worship week in and week out. Those are all the announcements that I have. Um, And with that, I want to read some words of preparation as we go into worship. From Revelation 15, verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. morning again, everyone. If you all would join me in a prayer of preparation. Father, as we just read from Revelations 15, 4, what stood out to me is all nations will come and worship you. Lord, through from Genesis to Revelation, you speak of all nations, the, the thousands of ethnicities that you have created that you've created in your image. Lord, as we surrender here today in the Village Church, prepare our hearts to worship you. And throughout our week and into our future, Lord, continue to shape our hearts to better reflect your image. And help us here at the Village Church as you draw individuals to Christ. Help us become a safe place for the diversity of your creation to gather, to learn of you, and to worship with us. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we will have our call to worship. It comes from the song, All Creatures in Our God 
of our God and King. I will read the leader's portion, and together we will read the congregation. Would everyone please stand? All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Thou burning sun and golden beam, thou silver moon and softer beams, oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. One thing I did want to say before we continue is if you are a member, please do make sure you hang around after the service for the uh, congregational meeting. We have to have a quorum, and so uh, please don't run off. It'll just take a few minutes after the service. Our confession of sin comes from Romans 7:18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Let's spend a few moments just in silent confession to our God and Father. assurance of pardon comes from Jeremiah 33.8. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Amen. Let's uh, enter again into prayer with our Father. Father God, I just thank you for your bounteous blessings upon us. Um, you give us air to breathe you give us bread we just thank you Father for how good you are to us how your mercy pours out upon us how your grace comes to us uh, undeservedly yet all for your glory Father we just thank you for every person who is here Father that you have drawn them here for your purpose. I pray that in this space and time that you will be glorified by what is said and what is, what is done here, that you will inhabit the praises of your people as we look to you today. Father, I thank you for giving us a place where we can come, where we can fall at your feet 
and be healed as we talk about in the verse to come. Thank you, Father. You are so good to us beyond anything we could have hoped for and imagined. That's how good you are to us. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture reading comes today from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 39. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to um, bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And a large crowd came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to them and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we go to get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you want? And they, How many loaves do you have? And they said to him, Seven and a few fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came into the region of Magadan. The word of the Lord. been a few weeks since I've been here, so it feels good to to be back with y'all uh, today. Uh, I do hope each of you are uh, are doing life prayerfully and faithfully. We're going to continue 
in our Gospel of Matthew sermon series uh, titled The Way. Uh, this series is about Jesus of Nazareth being the way. He's the promised way, the long-anticipated way, the fulfillment way, the redemptive way, the justice way, the wholeness way, the righteous way, the flourishing way. Jesus is also the priestly way, the prophetic way, and the kingly way. And this morning in verses 15 through, uh, verses 15 through 20, 21 through 39 in chapter 15 of Matthew, we're going to see him as being the bread of the way. The bread of the way. Jesus is the bread of the way, for he is the bread of life. John Paul, Pope John Paul II says, Farmers everywhere provide bread for humanity, but it is Christ alone who is the bread of life. But, here's the, but is this bread of the way for all people, or is it only for certain people? That's the question that this sermon is going to answer this morning. Is the bread of the way for all people, regardless of ethnicity, gender, nationality, or social status? Is the bread the way for y'all? Is it for us? Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as I pray each time I stand before God's people here, I pray in other dependency upon you that the preacher does not make preaching effective and powerful in the lives of God's people. You have to do that. That's your job. That's your lane. I am just an under-shepherd. I am just a vessel to be used for Christ's glory. So, Holy Spirit, you've got to do your thing. You have to bring conviction. You have to bring uh, encouragement. You have to um, bring people into the kingdom who are not in the kingdom. You have to take this word and apply it to, to the lives of everyone that's here. We all live in different places. We all have different struggles. But we all still need the same word. We all still need the same Savior. We all still need the same grace. So, Holy Spirit, third person within the Godhead, the deposit that guarantees our inheritance, the one who leads us into all truth, the one who is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. I, I beg of you today to move. Because if you don't move, we are going to leave here the same people we were when we got here. So do your thing, Holy Spirit. Function within your lane and allow us to function within ours. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Uh, if you know anything about Old Testament history, uh, then you would know that ancient Israel had faced seven large, stronger enemies when they entered the promised land of, of Canaan. And these nations are, are the Hittites, uh, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Canaanites. And, and each of these nations are descendant of Canaan, son of Ham, grandson of Noah. And collectively, these seven nations are identified as Canaanites. They're Gentile nations, non-Jews, non-worshippers of Yahweh, pagans. They're called the uncircumcised by the Jewish people. 
They're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You see, this historical information is important because it gives context to what's going to take place in the passage before us today. It will aid us in answering the question for today. Is the bread of the way for all people or is the bread of the way for certain people? Is the bread of the way for enemies, outsiders, outcasts, the marginalized? We shall see. After an interchange that offends some of the scribes and Pharisees in in verses 1 through 20, Jesus and his disciples, they withdraw from Galilee to a Gentile region. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of, of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus and his and the twelve disciples, they enter into a non-Jewish area. It's an area that most Gentiles, most Jews would consider to be unclean. And they would not even go there because it would make them unclean. You see, Tyre and Sidon, they have a long history of, of being places where people worship false gods, idols, paganism. They have a long history of being in opposition towards the Jews. So in some ways, Jesus enters enemy territory. He goes behind enemy lines. The Gospel of Mark points out that when he he enters this region, he he enters into someone's house. And he enters the house because he doesn't want anyone to know that he's there. But being Jesus and the reputation that he has at this time, he can't hide himself. Somehow the Gentile people find out that he's in the area. And word begins to spread that Jesus of Nazareth is in town. Because one of the things, you, if you read into the Gospel of Matthew, one of the things that Matthew keeps telling us is, is that, that Jesus' fame spread throughout the region, that Jesus' fame spread here. So word about Jesus does reach the Gentile areas. They don't just stay within the Jewish city. It's spreading everywhere about this man who performs great miracles. This Jesus religious teacher who, who, who speaks with power feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So news travels throughout the region by word of mouth. People are talking. People are whispering. The, the Jewish teacher that they have, have, have heard stories about is hanging out in a non-Jewish area. The man who preaches with authority and works miracles is now among us. How would you feel if you're living in this time? Because, again, we're Gentiles. We're not Jews. How would you be responding if you got word that this man, Jesus, is hanging out in Huntsville? News of Jesus' presence in the Gentile region eventually reaches the ears of one particular Gentile person. Look at verse 22. Matthew says, and behold. And whenever Matthew, see, whenever you see this in the gospel of Matthew, it means you better pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. That's what he's saying. A Canaanite woman from the area comes out looking for Jesus. And she's a mother running to find Jesus because her daughter is sick. And and she can't fix it. She can't make her daughter better. People in her region can't make her child well. The pagan gods and idols can't fix and heal her beloved daughter. She's talked to the experts, and they can't help her either. So our Gentile sister, she's out of options. 
Have you ever been out of options when you're facing a crisis or medical issue? Have you ever been out of options? See, we, we, we have the privilege of reading back into history. But, but this, 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 this is this woman's life. Her daughter is really sick. And she's not running out to Jesus to be part of his fan crowd. She's running out to him because her daughter is suffering and she can't fix it. Put yourselves in this mother's shoes for one moment. And can y'all empathize with her? Imagine if you had a child or a loved one suffering from a sickness that you can't fix. You just got to sit there and watch them suffer. What emotions will you experience? You feel powerless, hopeless, despair, grief. You, you, you feel helpless, scared, mad, frustrated, insecure. This mother is experiencing the same emotions. We have a tendency to make people in the Bible who's not Jesus non-human. As if she's a bystander in her own suffering. This is real life for her. This is history. This is not a Lifetime movie or a Disney show. This is real life. Her daughter is sick, and she's, and she's stuck, and, and she's out of resources. She's out of options. She's out of answers. But a, a, but, but a light of hope begins to shine through her cloudy sky. Good news reaches her ears. Jesus of Nazareth is in town. Is that still good news to you? Or have you been a Christian so long that, that, that Jesus no longer makes you feel anything just to hear his name? After locating Jesus, oh, so she, a non-Jew, decides to leave her home in order to seek help from this Jewish teacher on her daughter's behalf. Then she loves her daughter just like you love your kids, your family, and your friends. And what she does, it, 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 it gives you a picture of what it looks like to, to fight for your chick, sick child. It gives you a picture of what it looks like to, to advocate for a loved one who is sick. So after locating Jesus and, and seeing him from a distance, she begins to cry out, y'all. Over and over again, she begins to cry out as soon as she sees him, doing her best to, to get his attention, laboring hard to advocate for her child. you got to sense the urgency and, and picture her running towards Jesus while shouting these words, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by demon. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David, by healing my child. Jesus is her only option at this point. And she's pleading with him from a distance. Listen, again, again, she hasn't reached Jesus yet. She's just yelling from a distance, trying to get his attention. See, we don't know nothing about that because we take for granted that we don't have to beg for Jesus' attention. She places herself at his mercy seat from a distance. Have mercy on me, O Lord, 
son of David. Do y'all see what's happening here? This is how the Jewish people of Jesus' day should approach him. But they don't. John 1.11 says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But we have a Gentile mother here who does. Someone who shouldn't be receiving him, someone who shouldn't even know anything about him being the son of David, comes to him saying those words. So she comes to him and with, out of respect, asking him for compassion. She addresses him with a messianic title, which is used eight times in the Gospel of Matthew. She calls him son of David. Son of David. A Gentile, a, a non-Jewish person is asking Jesus for bread of the way. She's asking him for bread. And remember the question from earlier. Is the bread of the way for all people? Or is the bread of the way only for certain people? Is the bread of the way for her and her daughter? Is the bread for us? Is the bread for Gentiles? Or is it exclusively for the Jewish people? Saints and guests, it's been a long week of sermon prep. I got to tell you, this is not the type of text you want to preach when you've been out of the pulpit in two weeks. No, I'm kind of good if I had like a softball, a low-hanging fruit. This is not low-hanging fruit. I had to put some prayer and work in. The way Jesus responds seems to communicate, listen, it seems to communicate that the bread of the way isn't for Gentiles. It isn't for us. He even appears not to welcome Gentiles. His response seems to communicate that the bread of the way is for Jewish people only. For members only, and we ain't members. His first response is very unusual. It's different from his previous responses to people who ask him for help. His response is complete silence. Think about that. Silence. And we know Jesus, he, he, he ain't ever short on words, but here he's silent. And here he's not deaf. He, disciples, and everybody around him, they hear that woman screaming behind them. They hear her yelling at the top of her lungs. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. He hears her. But yet he chooses not to acknowledge her and her request. Look at verse 23. It states, but Jesus did not answer her a word. And in the Greek, that's exactly what it means. He did not answer her a word. If you go read the commentaries on this, it will say he did not answer her a word. The message Bible says he ignores her. Now, this seems unloving because it's like, is this the Jesus we've been learning about? Well, what do we make of his silence? What do we make of his nonverbal responses? Because I preach sermons on how Jesus' nonverbal responses are all loving and then welcoming, but... I got to tell you, it don't seem very welcoming here. Eventually, the disciples, you know, they reached their limit with the mother constantly crying and shouting after them. Her persistence begins to annoy them. And so they come up and beg Jesus, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. And one commentator says we should understand these words this way. Give her what she wants and send her off. The disciples are like, for the love of Jesus, just heal the woman's child already. 
get it over with. So she'll stop following us around crying out. But Jesus sets himself up against the disciples with a second response. He doesn't heal the child, nor does he send the woman away. Look at verse 24. But Jesus answers, I was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I, in the Greek means I, was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Those words seem restrictive and exclusive. They seem to set up a barrier that's religious and cultural and racial. And once again, he appears to not welcome Gentiles. He appears to be saying the bread of the way is not for y'all. It's only for the lost sheep of Israel. He appears to be rejecting someone in need of his help. And you think Jesus' actions here are harsh? Man, you <laughs> wait until you hear what he says to the sister when she gets to him. Keep in mind, she's yelling from a distance, shouting from a distance, making her way towards Jesus. Now, she's persistent, she's determined, and she's proactive. She's Mama Bear, fighting and advocating for her sick child. And then when she gets closer to Jesus, she falls down on her knees before him in dependency and surrender and worship. And she says to him one more time, Lord, help me. Picture that. Lord, help me. Help me by healing my sick child. Picture in your mind what's taking place here. She's kneeling before Jesus, begging for his help. And I got to tell you what he says to her. It seems kind of offensive, no matter how you try to downplay the words that make them feel good in our time. Look at what he says in verse 26. Is it right to give the children's bread, to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs? Now, this is you kneeling before Jesus asking for help, and this is his response. Is it not, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Say what? Hold up. Wait a minute. Time out. Did Jesus just say what I think he said? Is is he saying Israel is the children and the Gentiles are the dogs? Yep, that's exactly what he's saying. It's not the kind of response you would expect from Jesus to, to someone who's asking him for mercy. It's not. I don't know about y'all, but it's, it was hard for me this week to make sense of, of Jesus' silence and, and the restrictions he places around his ministry and this offensive metaphor he uses. I, I don't, I, it doesn't make sense to me that Jesus will appear to be rejecting someone who comes to him in humility asking for mercy. It doesn't make sense to me to see Jesus appearing not to welcome Gentiles. It, it doesn't make sense to me to, hear, to, to see Jesus see, seeming to be communicating that the bread of the way isn't for all people. But saints and guests, what appears to be rejection isn't rejection. Man, I, man that's supposed to be an amen statement. I, I did all this building up to, to that statement, and y'all are just like silent. <laughs> some more? Okay, I need to get to some more stuff first, DeMarco. Okay, the, the, some more stuff is coming. 
Hey, listen, it, these ain't my words now. So <laughs> they're mine. What appears to what, what what appears to be Jesus not welcoming Gentiles is not the case. What appears to be a complete barrier is not the whole story. I want each of y'all to know that Jesus does welcome Gentiles. Even this mother who's kneeling before him begging for his help. See, we can't take this particular interaction and isolate it from the rest of the gospel and build some jacked up theology around it. Because some people do that. We have to interpret scripture with scripture. You want a number rule, the number one rule of interpretation of scripture? Interpret scripture with scripture. If you do that, you probably stay out of trouble. Look again at verse. Look again at his second response in verse twenty-four. He tells the disciples, "I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel." His words here are connected to what he tells the disciples back in chapter ten, verses four, five through six. Before sending them out and to do ministry, he says to his disciples, "Go nowhere among the Gentiles." Enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Both of these statements are talking about the priority of Jesus' three-year ministry. The priority. The priority is given to Israel before the resurrection. To call Israel to repentance is the primary focus of Jesus' earthly ministry, says R.T. France. See, this priority and this primary focus does not mean the Gentiles are barred or excluded. It doesn't mean the bread of the way is simply restricted to the Gentiles only. And Jesus' silence in verse 23 doesn't mean he doesn't care about Gentiles, his mother, and her sick daughter. Matthew and Jesus are pro-Gentile, even though verses 21 through 26 seems to communicate otherwise. Remember, saints, you interpret Scripture with Scripture. You see, Matthew includes Gentiles in his genealogy in Matthew 1. Did you know that? Did you know that? He highlights four Gentile women who are either Gentiles or have Gentile associations. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Those are all Gentile sisters in the genealogy of Jesus from the very beginning of the gospel. There are other Gentiles mentioned in chapter 2. Some wise men or magi come from the east. These are, these are not Jewish men. They come to Jerusalem looking for baby Jesus, who was born king of the Jews. They come to honor him. And do y'all know, do y'all know what happens when, when they find Jesus? When these Gentile men find Jesus, what do they do? They fall down and worship him. They even present him with gifts. In his commentary on Matthew, Herman Ritterbaugh says, Israel knew precisely where the king of the Jews would be born, but it was the Gentiles who worshipped him first. Woo! People who you wouldn't expect to worship him was the ones who worshipped him first. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has his first encounter with a Gentile. The person is a Roman centurion. and he, The centurion is a military leader with a similar rank as a captain in the U.S. Army. So this soldier comes to Jesus just like this mother does, wanting him to heal someone he cares about. See, this servant, his servant is lying paralyzed at his house, and his servant is suffering greatly. And the satyrian comes to Jesus asking for help. And Jesus says to the satyrian, 
I will come and heal him. But listen to what the centurion says. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. Again, this is a Gentile. Exercising faith in Jesus, who is a Jew. When Jesus hears this, he marvels and says to those who follow him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at a table with Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown in the outer darkness, in the place where the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the satyrian, Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. And in Matthew chapter 11, as Jesus rebukes Jewish cities for their unrepentance, he also acknowledges that Gentile cities, they would have repented if his mighty works were done among them. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bathsheba. For if the mighty works done have done and you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Again, you interpret scripture with scripture. And in verses 29 through 31, who do you think Jesus is healing in those verses? Richard just read it. Who are the people he's healing in those verses? Those are Gentiles. All of them. Those are not Jewish people. Those are Gentiles. How do you know they're Gentiles? Because it said they worship the God of Israel, meaning he's not their God. They gave glory to the God of Israel. Why did they give glory to the God of Israel? Because this Jewish man is healing their sick and their lame and their blind and their crippled and their mute and many others. He's healing them. And these Gentiles glorify the God of Israel because of it. Jesus does welcome Gentiles into his ministry, even though Israel is a priority. Okay? That's an amen statement. He does mighty works among the Gentiles, even though Israel was the primary focus of his earthly ministry. He heals them here without turning them away. So when you look at the Gospel of Matthew as a whole, then you see that the bread of the way is for all people, regardless of ethnicity, gender, nationality, or social status. It is for all of us. All of us. But then why does Jesus appear to reject this mother then, who's kneeling before him, begging for his help? Why does he use an, an offensive metaphor, an offensive metaphor, by calling her a dog again? We have to use scripture to interpret scripture. Now, it's still a hurt, it, this is a hurtful metaphor to me. Now, I can't speak for everybody else. This is me speaking for me. It is still a hurtful metaphor, even though Jesus uses a different term for dogs. He doesn't use the term Jewish people use when talking about people from different faiths and different ethnicity. That term, the term they use is, is, is kuzin. That's K-U-S-I-N. It refers to street dogs. Stray dogs, loose dogs, dogs that don't have a home. And one commentator says, in those days, dogs were the unclean scavengers of the streets. This term is also used as a metaphor for reproach of people with an impure mind or, or a sexual pervert. 
It is used to label, label people as being excluded. This is the term that Jesus uses in Matthew 7, 6 when he says, do not give dogs what is holy. That's the term he uses. But in verse 26, he does not use that term. He uses a different term. I hope I pronounce it right. These Greek words are hard to pronounce. I think it's pronounced punarios, and it means little dogs. It means house dogs, lap dogs, which is a contrast to a street dog. But still, a dog's a dog if it lives on the street or in the house. So, what's the implication of these, of his words? Is the implication the Gentiles have no place at the table? Is that the implication? It can't be the implication in light of everything I just told y'all. In Mark's version of the gospel, in Mark's version of, uh, of this interaction, it, it says, Jesus says to the, to the mother, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. I believe Jesus, again, is talking, in this metaphor, is talking about priority. Not who's included and who's excluded. And our Gentile sister agrees with Jesus that it would be wrong to throw the bread that was supposed to be go to the kids to the dogs. That's why she says, yes, Lord. And now please understand what she ain't saying yes to. She isn't saying she's unworthy. She ain't saying she's less than human. She is not self-identifying with a house dog. The mother simply agrees with Jesus' basic point. The children of the house should be fed first before the house pet does. Children have the priority. Because we know Israel is historically God's chosen people. Historically, through the Old Testament, you know that. And so the Messiah came. He, his priority in earth ministry was to the house of Israel. But because of God's covenant with Abraham, where he said, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed, we know that Gentiles will still benefit from Jesus being here. And they do. Because as we know, Gentiles are included in the covenant. And that is made clear in the Acts of the Apostles. But at the same time, this mother understands that the house dog is still under the same roof as the kids, under the same care, compassion, authority, and provision. She fears that, she, she, she deducts from Jesus' uh, statement that the pet still benefits from being part of the household. The master still provides for the pet as well. Look at verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, and yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. One theologian says, instead of accepting the dichotomy of children versus dogs, she imagines that both the children and the dogs can be graciously fed inside, within the same household, from the same table. Listen, y'all, she knows she isn't Jewish. She knows that. She knows that she's breaking cultural norms by running up to Jesus asking for help. But she's still part of God's creation. And she knows that the bread of the way is for all people, even for her and her sick daughter. And what does Christ say to her? O woman, great is your faith. He didn't say that to any of the Jews that came to faith in him. Great is your faith. 
be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Think about that. Jesus didn't even have to be in the same room with her daughter in order for him to do his thing. That's because Jesus ain't just a man. He's more than just a man. He's the God man. He's the God man. And I want each of you to know that Jesus isn't offering y'all breadcrumbs. That's what your idols offer. But Christ isn't offering you that. And every time you run to an idol, you run into molded breadcrumbs. And saying to that, give me more. That's not what Christ offers. He's giving away whole loaves of bread. And this is what we see in verses um, 32 to 39. Again, who are these people that Jesus is getting ready to feed? Again, we see him welcome Gentiles. We see him feed um, heal Gentiles. Now you're going to see him feed them. Because this, I believe, is a parallel to the feeding of the 5,000, which were all Jews. These are Gentiles here. And it says he has compassion on them because they've been with him three days and haven't had anything to eat. Man, they, these are some hardcore intermittent fasters, man. <laughs> hardcore. And he says he doesn't want to send them away hungry because they may faint on their way. So he plans to feed them. But the disciples said, come to him and say, where are we to get enough bread? Notice the thing, bread. And so the desolate place. To feed such a great crowd. How can we, where are we going to find out these bread? Again, Jesus is the bread of life. You, you, have one, you, have, you already have what you need. Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? They say seven and a few fish. That's not a problem for Jesus. He's going to supernaturally feed over 4,000 Gentiles. He's going to multiply those seven loaves of bread and those few fish. He directs the crowd to sit down, and then he takes that seven loaves of bread and a few fish, gives thanks, and he gives it to his disciples, and he, they pass it out. And everybody eats. Everybody eats, and everybody is satisfied with leftovers. This is what Jesus does. And that's what he still is doing. Jesus is the bread of life. Do you know where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem stands for? You know what it is? Yes, house of bread. He was born in the house of bread. And he is bread. He's the bread of the way and it's available to all people. And Christ is not offering you breadcrumbs. He's offering you whole slices of bread, whole loaves of bread. Do you want it? Do you want the bread of the way? Then come to Jesus in faith if you don't have faith in him. His table is open to you. His hands, just like you see on this picture up here, his hands are extending out to you. All you have to do is repent of your sins, confess him as Lord and Savior, and surrender your whole life to him. And when you do, he will receive you. Now, here's the thing, if, if, you're, if you're an unbeliever today. There's an empty seat at Jesus' table with your name on it. And he's waiting for you to come and receive him. It's an empty seat at the table with your name on it. Will you come? Will you stop running? 
where you stop selling for breadcrumbs, where you come get real bread. And guess what? Nobody else can sit in that seat for you. And if you're already a believer, you've been walking with Jesus for years, stay in your seat. Stay in your seat. Stop getting up from the table and going to look for molded bread. That's all your idols are. That's all they're ever going to be is molded bread. Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2 says, Preserve preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. When you stop believing that, that's when you get up from the table and go look for breadcrumbs. Jesus is the only one who will give you fresh bread that tastes good and bread that you would never have to ask for any other kind of bread. He's offered to you. If he's made a way to deal with your sin, you don't think he can help you with what you're currently dealing with? Your current struggles? Your current sufferings? He's never promised a pain-free life, but he's promised to be with you to the end. And here's the thing about his table. You ain't the only one at it. You are not the only one. You, your wife, and your kids are not the only one at this table. There's a whole bunch of other people there too. So that means you need other Christians. You need to break bread with other Christians. So as a believer, stop breaking bread alone. Stay in your seat and enjoy the company of other beloved sons and daughters of the kingdom. And we get to break bread together. And what I love about this table analogy is that this table is going all around the world. And every time someone becomes a believer, they take their seat at the table with other believers. The table never runs out of seats. Never runs out. Never runs out of bread either. I'm going to close with, earlier I made a quote, I made, I read a quote from um, Pope John Paul. I know you're probably asking, why is Alec quoting a Catholic um, Pope? I believe God has people everywhere. And I don't have to agree with everything anybody says to, to agree with some of the things they say. So I like this quote, so I'm going to read it. He says, farmers everywhere provide bread for humanity, but it is Christ alone who is the bread of life. Even if all physical hunger of the world was satisfied, even if everyone who was hungry were fed by his or her own labor, by the generosity of others, the deepest hunger of man would still exist. Therefore, I come, I come to you all to say that to Christ, he is the bread of life. Come to Christ. And you will never hunger again. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that this bread, this water, this life that you're offering, it does satisfy our deepest need, our deepest hunger. And you can satisfy it. So my prayer is for those who are here and who are watching who don't know you. I pray that you draw them in. 
I pray for the beloved saints, the sons and daughters who do know you, that you will keep them at the table and help them enjoy the presence of other believers at the table with them. And so watch over us, sustain us. I pray for the village church as she moves into the future, that you would bless her and sustain her and provide all that she needs so that she can flourish. And I thank you and I praise you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you please stand for the benediction. Also, for, for all TVC members, you know, take a few minutes, use the restroom, do what you need to do, and then come back. Then we're going to uh, start the congregational meeting. And we shouldn't take long, so we'll pass out the ballots. We'll have to count the ballots, and then we'll, the meeting will be over. So here's God's benediction to his beloved. Now may the peace, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And the Lord be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. A few minutes, the meeting will start.